0: Section 3 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 22. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Greg Giordano. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 22. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie section three the irish reaper from tales of the borders by james Mackay wilson some years ago i was proceeding from Roncombe to manchester in one of the passage-boats which ply upon the duke of bridgewater's canal there could not be less than a hundred passengers and they were of as motley a description as the imagination of man could conceive even in a dream. The boats exactly resemble a long, low, flat-roofed wooden house, but sufficiently lofty for a middle-sized person to stand erect between the floor and the roof, or rather the deck. At one end sat about a dozen primitive Methodists, alternately reading passages of Scripture, or bursting forth at the extreme pitch of their voice, into a squall of music, singing hymn upon hymn, until my very ears ached, and the timbers of the boat might have started. Near them sat a number of young, rosy-cheeked Welsh women, staring at the vocalists with a look of wondering vacancy, that the goats on their own mountains could not have surpassed. There were also manufacturers' wives and children, returning from a seven-day's visit to Runcorn, for the benefit of a salt-water dip in the mersey and six or eight prim sober sleek silent well-dressed quakers with a more than sprinkling of the boys of the emerald isle the loud laugh of one of them was ever and anon heard above the shrill music of the ranters he was about 5 feet 7 inches high and exceedingly strong and well-made he wore an old great coat Of a yellowish blanket color, and a hat, the crown of which had fallen in with service, and its brim was equally turned up before and behind, and on both sides. His feet were thrust into a pair of brogues of true Irish manufacture, which, with a pair of coarse blue worsted stockings and corduroy inexpressibles, completed his outward man. He carried an apparently empty sack under his arm and was surrounded by about a dozen of his countrymen, who seemed to regard him as an oracle, heartily echoing back his boisterous laughter, and exclaiming, "'Well done, Mr. McCarthy. Faith, and it's you that's your mother's own son, at any rate.' O'Connell had sailed from Liverpool on the previous day, and his countrymen were discussing his political merits. "'Why?' bad luck to ye exclaimed our hero with the gray coat in answer to one who had held forth in praise of the counsellor and is it you McBehan, that says every man in ireland should pay the o'connell right but i'll tell ye a bit of a parable as father o'shea says and a parable too of my own natural mother's making larry says she to me larry mccarthy don't be after planting those big potatoes for seed for they've a hole in their heart a little christian might sleep in you're no better than a cisnack larry interrupted the aforesaid mick can't you spake your manning like a man if you have any manning at all at all there was like to have ended in an irish row in reality though the majority evidently sided with mr larry mccarthy not because they agreed with him in opinion but because as afterward appeared he was their master or employer. The disputants paused for a moment, and a loud groan, as if from one in great bodily pain, mingled with the wailings of a woman, was heard from the farther corner of the boat. Larry turned round, to use his own expression, like a flash of lightning. And the next moment he stood by the side of the sufferer, who was a tall, bony-looking figure. But, save the skin that covered them, there was little of his mortal man but the bones left. It was only necessary to look on his features, wasted as they were, to tell that he, too, was an Irishman. A young wife sat beside him, whose countenance resembled beauty personifying sorrow. She had a child at her breast, and two others, the eldest not more than five years of age, stood by her knee. Larry looked upon the group, and his heart was touched. "'And what may be yelling ye countrymen?' said he. "'Sure, and ye wouldn't be after dying among friends, would ye?' "'Oh, hon, is it a friend that would be asking after my own Patrick?' replied the poor wife. "'Sure, then, and he is ill, and we're all ill together. "'It is pleasant months since he earned a breadth of tinpenny. "'Oh, blackness on the day that the rheumatism come on him!' "'Sure, now, and is that all?' interrupted Larry. "'And, belike.' doctors have been chatting you for i tell you honey and you too patrick those anatomy chaps know no more about the rheumatists than holy solomon knew about stain-boats but belike i'm the man that doesn't know neither but maybe you're chatting yourself if you think so i'll tell you what it is the rheumatism is a wanderin' wind between the flesh and the bone and more than that there is no way to cure it but to squeeze it out at the ends of the fingers or toes oh my children's sorrow on it this replied the suffering man's wife but more'n above the rheumatist patrick got his leg broke last february ah splintered honey added the husband and the doctors bad luck be with em can't make nothin o'ins and i am now going to the great sulphur bone doctor and maybe he won't be curin that bit of bone without the money said larry an expression of sympathy, the sufferer shook his head and was silent. His wife burst into tears. "I will work. I will beg. I will die for my Patrick," she exclaimed, and pressed the child closer to her breast. "Ye he had better be barren a dyin', honey," returned Larry. "It wouldn't a raffle think ye among friends. Be more genteel than beggin among strangers." "Oh, Han! And is it friends you say?" replied she. Yes, sure, and it is friends that I say, answered Larry, and a raffle is what no gentleman need be ashamed on. The boat, at this moment, stopped opposite, an inn at the side of the canal. Larry borrowed a quart measure from the skipper, and sprang ashore. In a few minutes he returned with a quantity of rum, and handing it first to the wife, and then to her lame husband, said, Come, Warm up thy old bone to the drop of the erster. He called the rest of his countrymen round him and handed the liquor to each. When gathered together, there might be about sixteen or eighteen of them. Ah now, and these are all my men, said Mr Larry McCarthy, with a look of comical consequence to his infirm countrymen. And where would you be finding better? We are gone up a bit of work in Lancashire, for the English are no better than born children at our work. And raising the liquor to his head, he added, Here's the holy virgin be with us, countrymen, and better luck to your bed leg, and should it ever be mended at all, though ye mayn't be good for much at hoodwork, any more, ye have still a stout bone for a barrow, and you won't be forgetting to ask for Larry McCarthy. And now, boys, continued he, turning to his workmen, here is his poor man, and more than this, I'm saying, our own lawful countrymen with the rheumatists and a broken leg and his wife too as you see and those three little cherubims all starvin to be sure and he goin to the doctor's without a penny sure he won't disguise old ireland just look at the children, and i say that a raffle is a genteel way of doin nothing so saying he thrust his hand into his pocket and pulled out a small canvas bag filled with silver and tied round the mouth with a strong cord he took off his indescribable brown hat he threw in a piece or two of silver, and went round, shaking it among his countrymen. Each took out a similar bag to Larry's, and threw his mite into the hat. He then, without counting them, emptied its contents into the lap of the poor woman. And I should think, from their appearance, they must have amounted to thirty or forty shillings. She burst into tears. The lame man grasped his hand, and endeavored to thank him. Don't be after spaking said larry Did you think we aren't christians such was the irish raffle larry instantly resumed his jokes his jests and his arguments but i could do nothing during the rest of the passage but think of the good samaritan and admire mr larry mccarthy in the september of eighteen thirty four i was wandering by the side of a country churchyard situated near the banks of the tyne the sun had gone down and the twilight was falling grey upon the graves i saw a poor-looking man whose garments fluttered in tatters with the evening breeze and who by his appearance seemed to be an irish reaper rise from among the tombs he repeatedly drew the sleeve of his coat across his eyes and i could hear him sobbing heavily as though his heart would burst as we approached each other i discovered that he was my old canal-boat companion and then merry and kind-hearted larry mccarthy but no more like the larry i had then seen him than a funeral to a bridal his frame was wasted to a skeleton and hunger and misery glistened in his eyes together "Ha," said i accosting him is it possible that sorrow could have laid his heavy hand upon the light heart of larry mccarthy sure said he drawing away the tears that ran down his wan and want-worn cheeks it is true and too true and heavy is the hand sure enough but not so heavy as it should be or it will be weighing me into that grave but how do you know me sir and who told you my name as i don't know yours for sure and mine is larry mccarthy as my father and mother and his reverence with my natural sponsors to boot All every one of them say and affirm. I reminded him of the canal-boat and the raffle, and inquired the cause of his distress, and his visit to the grave. "'Ah, remaster,' said he, "'and you touch a sore place when you ask me to tell it. Perhaps you don't know, for how should you, that not long after the time you spake of in the canal-boat I came down to what you call the borders here, to a bit of navigating work that was to be a long job.' I lodged with a widow, a decent old woman, that had a daughter they called Mary. And, ugh, oh, you may be thinking that ever Mary had an equal, but it's wrong that you are, if you think so. Her eyes were like drops of dew upon the shamrock, and although she was not Irish, but Scotch, it was all one, for, you know, the Scotch and Irish are one man's children. But at any rate, she had a true Irish heart, and, but for the sea, or the channel, as they call it, She would have been Irish as well as me. The more I saw of Mary, I loved her the more. Better than a bird loves the green tree. She loved me, too. And we were married. The old woman died a few weeks before Mary presented me with two little Larrys. I might have called them both Larry, for they were as like each other as your two eyes. And both of them as like me, too, as any two stars in the blessed firmament are like each other, where nobody can see a difference.' mary made the best wife in christendom and when our little cherubs began to run about our knees and to lisp and spake to us a thousand times have i clasped mary to my breast and blessed her as though my heart would burst with joy sure i used to say what would my own mother have said had her old eyes and witness to the happiness of her son larry mccarthy but often the thought came stalin' over me that my happiness was too like a drama to last long and sure and it was a dram and a short one too a cruel mortal fever came to the village and who should it seize upon but my little darlings it was hard to see them dying together and my mary wept her bright eyes blind over them but bad luck was upon me apothecary told us how our lovely children would die and on the very day that he said so the wife that was dearer to me than old ireland to st patrick lay down on the bed beside them And, ugh, sir! Before another sun looked in at our window, a dying mother lay between her dead children. I wished that I might die too. And within three days, I followed my wife and my little ones together to the same grave. It was this arm that lowered them into the cold earth, into the narrow house. And sure, it has been weak as a child since. My strength is buried in their grave. I have wrought but little since, for I cannot. I have no home now, and I take a light job anywhere when it comes in my way. Every year at reaping time, I visit their grave and bring with me a bit of shamrock to place over it, and that it may be a mark where to bury me should I die here, as I hope I will. Within ten days after this, I beheld the body of the once lively and generous-hearted Larry McCarthy consigned to the grave by the side of his wife and children. Human life is a fluctuating affair, but, after all, there is much more pleasure attached to it. Tears and smiles, it is true, make up its routine, but there is a soul-unburdening joy, even in tears. The earth covers physicians' faults, and money rich men's. End of Section 3 Read by Greg Giordano